Hello and welcome to this latest Fraser of Allender podcast. As part of our coverage of the, the COP26 summit in Glasgow, um, we're keen to talk to lots of different people who are involved in our journey to net zero. So throughout the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking to, to policymakers, to those who are trying to pressurise policymakers into making a real change and to, to do the right thing, or different businesses who are helping to decarbonise the economy, or perhaps seizing some opportunities that we have in building a, a business out of going green or the green economy. So to that end, I'm talking to Johnny Clark today, who's the Managing Director of ITP Energise. Thanks for joining us today, Johnny. Pleasure. Um, so just for our listeners, can you tell us a bit about your company, ITP Energise, and what it does? Sure. So um, we're a technical advisor providing uh, a, a range of um, engineering and environmental consultancy services across, across a range of sectors. Fundamentally, we're passionate about that energy transition and uh, um, the direction of travel to, towards net zero. And we support our clients on, on their journeys, um, starting out at a fairly strategic level, I guess, um, and then ultimately providing support through decarbonizing their, their operations or, or, or assets. Okay, great. Could you just um, give us an example of the sorts of projects you guys work on? Yeah, sure. So um, not surprisingly, we uh, we do a lot of work uh, in the renewables sector, uh, both for renewable developers and also for um, for, for for investment into the renewable sector. Um, whether that's around um, providing environmental social governance strategic advisory support to to, to, to clients operating in that sector, uh, whether it be supporting them getting uh, technologies deployed. So that can involve um, looking at the feasibility for developing renewable projects, wind, solar, biomass, and associated storage. So uh, things like battery and, and, and hydrogen increasingly. Um, and, and we'll support them with looking at the feasibility for deploying those technologies with getting them consented, permitted, um, and then and then obviously looking at supporting them, getting them you know, built and operational as well. So we provide engineering and environmental consultancy services right the way through the asset, that asset life cycle. So I suppose with the growth in, in renewable energy in, in, in Scotland and the UK in recent years, um, and, I, and I think you operate globally as well, um, I guess you must have seen quite a change in your operations over the last decade or so. Yeah, very much so. Um, so yes, you're right. We do we do operate uh, globally. Um, we're we're active all, all over the world, and, and and one of the reasons for that, um, and I should say, we're we're headquartered in in Edinburgh, but uh, we have um, teams across the UK and also uh, based based uh, people based internationally. Um, there's certainly been there's certainly been a, a you know a, a, a transition that we've we've seen over the last decade and it's even longer than the last decade. Uh, I've been working in this industry for getting on for thirty years now, and I think um, there's a massive change that's happened in that time in terms of the you know the attitude towards decarbonisation and, and and more broadly net zero. And I mean net zero in a in a in a in a, in a, a, a sense of um, of 
of, of not just decarbonisation, but looking at the the kind of social impacts of mm. um, of, of of what we're doing as a as a species, um, and and we've certainly seen a, a real change in the flow of capital, I guess, ultimately into low carbon assets and into decarbonising existing assets. Um, so so yes, that's you know that that that's something that we see not just in the UK but but internationally, and one of the benefits we have is that the UK has, has really been at the forefront of developing some of that capability, which we're now able to then export to support other parts of the world as they as they look to decarbonise. So how important do you think that kind of focus on, I suppose, um, some people call it sustainable finance, green finance, you know, the fact that now sort of, I guess, investment is following the desire to decarbonise? Yeah, that, I, I mean, that, that's been huge um we've we've certainly seen the likes of our private equity and our, our our vc uh venture capital clients um increasingly focus their investment in in what they would probably call responsible investment or some may call it ethical investment um and, and it's been widely reported in the press um some very well-known funds withdrawing their, their their investment of fossil fuel uh related concerns and, and and shifting more towards low carbon and renewable technologies and and and, and companies and, and ultimately investing in companies that that are supporting that decarbonization so um we, we've seen that through the increase in the amount of support that we provide those kind of clients um working on those kind of assets and and as as we mentioned earlier that's that's globally Mm, yeah absolutely you mentioned the word um transition there and that's quite a fashionable word for policymakers to use quite often um in conjunction with just um transition um as we decarbonize our economy um i mean what what opportunities do you see i suppose in, in the, the scottish economy specifically um for, for that just transition including potentially building you know more supply chains and that sort of thing in Scotland so um well I guess we're you know we're headquartered as I mentioned uh, in in Scotland in, in in Edinburgh and a significant number of our employees are based in 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 Scotland and and Scotland is uh, and the UK more broadly but Scotland's really been at the forefront of developing some of the capability um, that that you know we're now able to export as I, as, I, as I mentioned earlier so um not surprisingly uh with onshore wind for example uh, Scotland's got a great resource and therefore not surprisingly there's a capability built up around uh, deploying uh, that that technology in, in 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 Scotland similarly with offshore renewables um there's a real strength around offshore renewables and so I, so I think Scotland's really well placed and um, and it's certainly something that, uh, uh, you know, as we've seen, has got political support. Um, you, you, your question about supply chain is, is, is an interesting one, because I think um, the, the, the challenge is the capacity within that supply chain. And I mean, we obviously see it from a point of view of providing professional services into, you know, into those sectors and, um, and to, our, to, our, to our clients. But one thing that you hear from all parts of the supply chain, whether it be equipment supply or, 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 or technical capability, it, it is, is a constraint 
you know, in order to achieve our, our, our objectives um, and the politically stated objectives, it, it, it's, it's going to be quite challenging with the current resource that we've got. So um, it's certainly a, a big focus of conversation within our organisation about how we continue to build that capacity and that, in our case, the talent to, to support our clients with yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting um, because obviously there's lots of um, discussion just now about um, skills mismatch, skills shortages um, across the economy. Um, and, and going back to that word transition, I suppose, how, how many of the skills that exist in the um, you know, carbon related industries can transition into um, you know, um, a net zero economy. Um, are you seeing that from your business perspective then, this, it, this issue of skills shortages? Yeah, yeah definitely. It's, um, I, I think it's, it's a relatively small pool um, and there's obviously you know, pr pr pros and cons in terms of the, the scale of the, uh, of, of the market and the opportunity and the challenges that we all face in terms of meeting net, net, net zero targets. Um, but having the you know the wherewithal to, to do that and it and I think transition is is the right word because it's clearly not something that's going to happen overnight, um, but it's 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 not something that's going to happen of its own volition either. It's it's something that that is going to require a lot of work, um, and it, it require a lot of work and, and commitment politically, but also from organisations like like ours, uh, from the kind of corporates and industrials and developers that we work for and, and, and obviously from communities as, as, as well. I mean, I think it's everybody's responsibility. So um, I, I do think transition is, it's a much used word, but it's it's kind of right, you know, and it, it's it's not gonna happen overnight and we're not gonna, we're not just gonna flick a switch and, and suddenly uh, you know, hit our net zero targets. It's kind of encouraging to hear what's coming out the first day or two. Uh, from COP COP twenty six, at least in terms of the you know the um, the stated in, intent, um, you know what transpires, we'll, we'll we'll see over the coming couple of weeks. Yeah, and there's obviously been a lot of discussion. Um, you know, we'll probably come back to COP and your your reflections on what might come out. But in terms of the way that our economy has changed over the period of COVID, obviously there's been a lot of adaptations that businesses have seen. Um, and, you know, for example, you know, the future of the office, um, town centres, city centres and how they'll be used in the future. How have you as a company kind of adapted to that? Um, and what are your kind of plans for the way of working in the future? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And funnily enough, we were, you know, we, we had our management team meeting this morning and, and it's, it's always a topic of, of, of conversation. We've always been quite flexible about how people work um, and, and partly that is born out of um, the fact that we've got people based all across the UK and indeed internationally. So that flexibility of working, enable, enabling people to collaborate, you have to have that those tools in place to do that. So we've always had quite a flexible way of working. So in one sense, um, the, the, that, that, that didn't sort of negatively impact us when, when everybody had to start working from home. The, the, the flip side is that um, so much of what we do is ultimately relationship focused and relationship driven. And it's um, yeah, certainly from a personal perspective, um, I, I, I always find those relationships easier to, you know, to, to, to develop when you're meeting people face to face. Uh, you know, there's pros and cons, I guess, of what's happened over the last 18 months. 
Um, and we, we've seen you know, positive impacts in the environment in terms of reduced travel. And um, I think it has, it has forced people to just kind of reassess what, what works best for, for, for them. And there, and there are certainly some sort of positive knock-on impacts in terms of you know, what we're talking about more generally, uh, uh, you know, that, that wider energy transition. Um, you know, clearly, it, it, it's also come come with its challenges, but uh, yeah, I think I think we, we we were fortunate during during lockdown. The business continued to grow, and I think because of the sectors we work in, they they were quite resilient. You know, whatever whatever happens, energy assets are still you know they tend to work on a on a on a sort of 30, 40 year uh, life cycle. Um, so we didn't see any of that really being switched off. I think people's ability to to, to work on and deliver those the, the, those projects that was inhibited a little bit um simply because of well it's not as easy to get in touch with clients it's not as easy to go out on site and and do survey work etc cetera, etc cetera. but uh but we find way, way, ways and means of doing that and you know it's it's there's been some innovation that's born out of it as well yeah that's definitely true uh, as often happens at times of crisis um yeah um you know, and you were talking earlier about about companies thinking more broadly about their environmental and social responsibilities, um, both in terms of the way they do their business, but also perhaps then what they invest in or, or the investment that's made in them. And um, we've probably found, um, in especially in the last couple of years, when we're talking to different companies who are looking for help about how they they look at their success, that. Um, the um, desire to be more um, sustainable environmentally and more responsible socially, perhaps supporting local communities. Um, companies are keen to um, both be able to demonstrate that, but also really do it, you know. So it feels to me like there's been a bit of a switch um, that it's not just that companies are keen to look like they're green or responsible or, um, or care about the local area, but actually wish to do it, you know. So I suppose um you know being optimistic that there's less um maybe the, of the greenwashing type although that still exists of course um but there's more a real desire from companies and corporates to actually deal with this issue yeah and, and, I, and I would agree with that actually um we uh we, we've certainly seen as part of supporting uh clients whether they be corporates industrials whether they be investors looking at their environmental social governance you know i think i think you know the word governance is is in there and i think that to us to, to a degree kind of helps with the greenwashing um you know there needs to be uh the ability to scrutinize what corporates are doing what they say they're going to do what they are doing and how they're communicating it um and, and and if they don't do that then alarm bells start start ringing and um and i think there's a lot more transparency now uh, amongst shareholders stakeholders uh, but whether direct or in, indirect in in those in those organizations so I, I certainly wouldn't say uh, for one minute that greenwashing has has, has gone away but certainly the kind of people that approach us for support, what we see is a genuine desire. And, 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 and I think sometimes that's entirely altruistic. And I think sometimes they recognize that um, in order to 
need to continue operating ultimately in the longer term that they, they they need to do that and 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 actually as we as we often stress um there is a triple bottom line you know it's not just about jumping through hoops and, and cost uh, and, and and if they look at it that way then then you know it probably it probably is more you know akin to green a greenwashing but if they're looking at genuinely we we, we keep referring to living ESG, you know, living their ESG strategy, it's it's something that should underpin what what everything that they do, rather than be some kind of bolt on. And uh, yeah, there's a, there's a genuine desire within a lot of organisations to uh, you know to, to 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 do that. I think there's there's much more of a social conscience in in organisations these days. Uh, that's that's my that's my optimism anyway <laughs> and certainly what we see you know and that and go back to your earlier question about what we've seen not just over the last decade but over over you know the period of time that i've been doing this kind of stuff um i i've definitely seen a a, a change a sea change over, over the years and it's yeah it's, it's kind of encouraging yeah yeah well let's let's stick with the optimism then um, so, so what what are you um, sort of thinking, both in a personal view and I suppose for for your business that may come out of out of, out of the next twelve days of negotiations? Yeah, it's um, it's a yeah, it's a really it's a really good question. I I I mean, I think um, I, I put a, a wee piece on our on our on our website a couple of days ago, and I th- I think the underlying message there was uh, was was kind of cautious optimism, I guess. I mean, what we do know, um, although we don't participate directly in those negotiations, very much sort of governmental and NGOs and and and, and so forth, um, we we we've sort of uh, are aware because of our relationships within this world of of what goes on behind the closed doors, and uh, not surprisingly, when you've got that many delegates coming from that many different angles um, and and very very different economies with very very different um, imperatives it's very hard to get consensus having said that I guess the initial um, uh, the initial communication that we've seen coming out from the leaders meetings over the first couple of days have been pretty positive um, remains to be seen you know how that converts into action uh, and, and I think that's always been the case with with you know with the COP meetings that um, you know you need to see that convert into real real action. From 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 my perspective, I think real action comes when you mobilise capital, whether it be publicly funded or or, or, or privately funded, and increasingly private privately funded. So um, I think we're seeing we're seeing pressure from um, from. You know, your, your average person in the street um, that is clearly influenced how the politicians are, are behaving and, 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 and acting that's then driving legislation regulation target setting um, and, and, and ultimately uh, hopefully some support mechanisms for, for getting things kick-started which ultimately then drives and attracts private finance and then you start to get a, you know, a positive feedback loop of uh, of, of positive things happening so I, I you know i'm hoping we see more of that and a bit more of an acceleration of of that um there was a bit of news this morning and in, in terms of commitment to uh to, to stopping deforestation by by 2030 um again that's positive let's let's see how everybody implements that 
we have, of course, you'd put a slightly more pessimistic slant on it. Um, we have, of course, seen commitments in the past in terms of investment, um, which uh, overwhelmingly the governments have fallen short of. Now they're all saying that they're going to catch up over the next couple of years in, in, in doing that. Um, let's, let's hope they put the money where their mouth is, I guess. Yeah, thanks, Johnny. I think um, reflecting the the optimism we feel we all have to have about COP, but the the pessimism is it's not it's not um, difficult for it to creep in given previous commitments. But let's all hope um, that it has those optimistic outcomes that we're 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 hoping for, and to be honest, that we all need to see um, in order to to get where we need to be with the climate. So thank you so much for for joining me today for, for this podcast. Um, it's really great to hear the business perspective and people who are actually working in the industry who understand it um, and understand how um, how the business world is changing its behaviour. Um, so plenty more from us um, over the next couple of weeks um, on our uh, website, FraserofAllender.org. Um, look out for more podcasts. Um, if you're enjoying our podcast, you can subscribe on all the major podcast platforms. Um, and we'll we'll see you again soon for the next Fraser of Alder podcast. Thank you.